All right, let's get busy. Fetch a Bible nearby and open to Malachi chapter 1. That's page 682 for using the Bibles we've provided. Malachi chapter 1, we've started examining the book of Malachi. There are great, great aspects of Malachi, one of which is the many questions from among God's people that God then takes and addresses. So you get questions about justice, the point of it all. You get questions about marriage, about money, about getting along with one another. Now last week, the question we looked at was, how has God loved me? And why me? It's neither who we are, nor what we've done, nor how willing we are for why God loves us. No, He loves us because that is who He is. It's sort of the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, first mentioned in Exodus, mentioned many other times. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Now we enter into our next dispute. It's the second dispute of Malachi, and it's over service. And the question contained in that is, how do our lives dishonor you? That's the question we'll look at this morning. How do our lives dishonor you? And this makes sense because in verses 2 through 5 of chapter 1, God declares, I have loved you. And he goes on to explain more. Now if you want to know ways you can respond to that love, pay attention. Here they are. So he goes on to talk about it. We'll look at that today. All the way through, about a third, third of the way through chapter 2 of Malachi. So let's start though. Malachi... Chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. Now, real quick, I want to stop here. Malachi is addressing priests here. The God is addressing priests. But who has to bring the priests to sacrifice? It's the people, right? So the people are responsible, first of all, for bringing the tainted sacrifices. And then, of course, the priests are complicit in offering it on God's table on the altar of sacrifice. Okay, verse 9. So now entreat the favor of God that He may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will He show favor to any of you? says the Lord of hosts. Let's stop there. Pray with me if you would. Lord, we thank you for your word. Sometimes it can be difficult to apply passages like this, but we know all of your word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness to equip every man, every woman for good works. So we ask you would equip us this morning by your word. Please speak through me as well, Lord, and give us hearts to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, quick show of hands. 
Who here actually enjoyed their years in middle school? You had a happy experience of grades 6 through 8, or in the British system, 7 through 9. All right, all right, quite a few. Well, I, you know, I enjoyed mine as well. I had a great group of friends. We played basketball together, played on the Nintendo. Super Mario Brothers loved that. We traded baseball cards. And, of course, we collectively strategized as to how we would hit on the prettiest girls in our class, only to later chicken out, which is, yeah, which is pretty much what middle school is all about, right? <laughs> well, we'd rotate spending time at one another's homes. And each, has, each guy's house had different advantages. So, for instance, we had a big yard. My friend Chris had a sweet pool. One of my friends, John, had constructed this indoor basketball court in his basement. It was like a six-foot goal. And the list goes on. But depending on the weather and what time of day it was, we'd use each other's homes for different reasons and enjoy ourselves. Only, we try never to be at my friend John Platt's home at night. Because while everyone else's moms would make some delicious scrubbage, John's mom always gave us what we like to call sloppy seconds. Now it wasn't just that she would stick leftovers in the microwave for us. They were essentially the worst things you can microwave. <laughs> yeah, right? I remember pot roast. Great pot roast fresh. But it is like chewing on a dog toy when microwaved. Right? <laughs> she would try her Mexican flair with some enchiladas, quesadillas, great on the skillet, but it is like your mouth going from the jacuzzi to an arctic pool. In a matter of seconds when microwaved, right? We've all been there with the frozen burrito. <laughs> I, oh, one more. That's right. She loves fish. Again, terrific when fresh fish, but when nuked, it tastes like cardboard that's gone through the heavy wash cycle. Right? Uh, so it became that John's house was the place for sloppy seconds. Now, God's people had the ability and understanding to get the best of what they have. They instead give God their sloppy seconds. God's people ask, how have we dishonored or polluted you? God makes it clear. Sacrifices. Look in verse 7. By offering polluted food upon my altar, the altar of the temple. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? In the Old Testament, a little background here. In order to bring oneself back into right, right relationship with God after rebelling against Him, in order for one's spiritual life to be restored, some kind of life had to be sacrificed to atone for sin. In other words, you had to give a life for a life. Give a life to get back life. Because you see, God is perfect. In fact, earlier in verse 6, He asked, Where is the honor do to me. That word translated honor in Hebrew is kabod. It literally means heaviness. Yahweh, 
who he is is heavy. That means no purpose, no act, no motive, no one's righteousness can outweigh him. His holiness always tips the scales in light of our feeble holiness. And so lambs, goats, pigeons would be brought to the temple where priests would intercede between God and between man by sacrificing the animal. And just as sinning against a perfect God was serious, so God called His people to give serious consideration to the perfection of the sacrifice they brought. Does that make sense? The way they would approach the living God was the way they would approach the sacrifice. And so God commanded that no blind or crippled or diseased animals be given from one's flock. Let's look at a couple of those commandments just briefly. Leviticus 22.22. Any of you guys read Leviticus lately? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, Well, we get to now. Leviticus 22.22. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs. When you read that, it's like, hey God, a little too much information. (laughs) But it makes sense. I'll show you why. But You shall not offer those to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. Now God is so detailed with those descriptions because it had to be perfect without spot, any blemish, any sort of blemish, even if he had an itch. It's a problem. Deuteronomy 15.21 But if a sacrifice has any blemish, if it is lame, or blind, or has any serious blemish, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. But, the blind, the crippled, the disease, that's exactly what people do. That's what God's people decide they will do. And now, now now, because of the permanent sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God's spotless lamb, we no longer need to sacrifice animals. If you put your faith in him, which is both convenient, right? It's tough to get livestock around here. And it makes PETA pretty happy. (laughs) But, if you put your faith in Christ, we do continue to sacrifice of ourselves, to give of ourselves. And so in that light, this passage becomes pretty easy to apply. Stop giving God your sloppy seconds. Give the best of who you are. Give the best of who you are. But were we to stop there? Were I to be a preacher who said, Man, give your best. I believe in you. You can do it. There's some like that. But were we to stop there, we would be in some major doo-doo. Right? Because we know that giving of our best consistently doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because of sin. Now, by the way, this is, this is why it's so important to remember when reading the Old Testament that all of God's Word, all of the Old Testament points to either the need for a rescuer or to the hope of a rescuer. Here, if God's people sacrificed again and again, if they really had the motivation at least to give Him their best, they would still fail. They'd either forget and mess up because of their hearts. 
All of which points to the need for a rescuer. So back to this. Why doesn't work? Sin. Yes. But Malachi is more specific about it. He gives us, in fact, three clues as to the specific nature of the sin or specific nature of the problem at hand. He gives us these three clues when he contrasts these three earthly relationships to himself and the relationship he has with his people. Starting in verse 6, a son and his father, a son and his earthly father. Now when a son relates to his earthly father, it's usually with honor. Also in verse 6, a servant and his master. A servant usually reveres his earthly master or fears. Perhaps verse 8 is most compelling. A citizen and his governor. If you have the governor over for dinner, right? You're going to cook your best. You're going to give your best. See, the problem is a lack of faith. Because it is far easier to put one's faith in relationships that are visible and tangible. Fathers, masters, governors, that it is faith in the one who is invisible and intangible. Why? Well, instant, immediate, tangible results. That's what you get from something that's visible and tangible, from someone who's visible and tangible. You don't always get the results you want, but at least you know when dealing with someone, you know where they stand. You hear from them, you taste, you touch, they're audible. This weekend, from Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon, we had an elders retreat. I took the other elders with me to this place in Frank Sound to seek God through His Word, through prayer regarding matters of mission and vision for our church. And we I prepared a bunch of stuff ahead of time, articles. I printed out lyrics for praise songs, which is pretty dangerous. Uh, five men gathering around singing praise songs, man. The dogs were definitely singing along with us. <laughs> anyway, I brought groceries. I obtained the key. I got directions. I made sure the place was decent and clean. And was I giving my best? And the way I prepare was I giving my best. Growing up as a kid, my idol was a man named Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is a professional basketball player. He played for both my favorite teams, uh, University, University of North Carolina, and then pro with the Chicago Bulls. And he's widely regarded as the greatest player of all time. All right, don't argue about that with me, by the way. Now, if I found out that Michael Jordan and his family were coming to my house this past Friday, I uh, would have suddenly contracted a mysterious 24-hour flu and probably canceled the retreat. (laughs) We'd still use the house in Frank Sound. I would have inspected the place ahead of time, then repaint its interior, the shade of my favorite basketball team. Would have rented Wave Runners, found a way to hijack one of the two island helicopters, we would have made it happen. And I would have given my children fake names to match the names of his two boys, Jeffrey and Marcus. (laughs) Just for the weekend, just for the weekend, 
Now he, in turn, would give me tangible, instant gratification. He would assign the basketball, sign my t-shirts, my shorts, jeans, slacks, dress shirts. I probably would have my whole wardrobe signed. <laughs> he would have shared cool insider stories with me about his days in the NBA. And I believe he would have even taught me against defying all physics how to do a 360 degree dunk. Even, even though I can barely touch the rim. And that was actually seven years ago. I touched the rim. So. <laughs> Obviously just an illustration. But if you take away the celebrity and the helicopters, it's not far from the truth, is it? Faced with what we'd sacrifice for a person we love, respect, admire, versus the God of the universe, we choose persons. Because they can give us instant gratification, immediate touch, tangible respect. Whereas God requires faith. Oh, faith is hard. It's a tough spot. And through Malachi, God acknowledges that it's a tough spot. He knows His people are in a faithless and indeed helpless state. Read with me in verse 9. And now entreat the favor of God that He may be gracious to us. It's Malachi talking. And then God says, With such a gift from your hand, will He show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Now that's kind of confusing, potentially hopeful. Hey, there's a chance. God may still accept us. Uh, but as you read, and kind of get into the Hebrew and all the commentators agree that it's meant to be ironic. The idea is, sure, here's what you should do. But you and I both know it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Well, it's kind of depressing if we stop there, eh? But, other than animals, there's another kind of sacrifice God's people gave. And it was a vegetarian sacrifice. For you vegetarians out there. God asked the people to give not only the best of their herd, but the first fruits of their crops. See, every year when the harvest came in, you'd collect the first of your crop, bundle it up, bring it down to the local tabernacle or temple, you'd give it to the priests, and then with your guy pals and gal pals, you'd celebrate the Feast of First Fruits. And in doing so, you're recognizing everything. All that I have is a gift from God. Unlike with sacrificing of animals, your first fruits were not necessarily your best. They were just your first. And then you would be trusting that God would provide the rest of the crop. Fill it out. Now herein lies our sermon in a nutshell. Giving to God your holy best requires initially going to Him with your sloppy firsts. Going to God with what's really first, really first on your heart. Whatever mess, whatever sin, whatever weakness, whatever trouble, whatever confusion, it won't always be spotless. 
And He is pleased as long as you come to Him with it. I want to share you two of the most important and prominent uh, Scripture verses in all of God's Word about sacrifice. The first one's from the Old Testament. It's Psalm 51, 17, where David says this. Now David has sinned against the Lord and he's pleading for Him for mercy in his life. He says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That's a heart that's sorrowful for its sin. And he says, O oh God, you will not despise. This would have been shocking to the Hebrew mind for those who are praying and singing this psalm. When they hear sacrifice, they think, oh, here he comes. Something great, something holy, something perfect. No. A broken and contrite heart. And when David offers this sacrifice to God, he receives his mercy. And notice what that mercy does. One verse later, at the end of the psalm, he says this, Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. In other words, the mercy that David received compelled him, propelled him to offer sacrificing that was pleasing to God. Holy sacrifices. Whole burnt offerings. Sloppy first. The mercy enables him to offer something holy to God. Paul, the Apostle Paul says this similarly when talking about the sacrifice that we can give as believers in Jesus, he says it like this, Romans 12.1. Therefore, I, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What we often miss here why do we give of ourselves? Why do we sacrifice our best for God? In view of His mercy. In consideration of, because of God's mercy shown to you in Jesus Christ, live a holy life as a response of sacrifice to Him. A responsive sacrifice to what He's done for you. He then uses His mercy through Jesus to propel us towards the best of who we are. Because through Christ's death, the faith in what Christ has done for you and in Him, being given Christ's righteousness, we want to do right. Christ. Jesus Christ's righteousness. Pretty amazing. Empowers us to want to do right. Being given His holiness, we are enabled with our own holiness. That's glorious. When you go to Him with the first of who you are, which is usually the worst of who you are, the mercy He shows to you again and again through Christ enables and empowers you to get the best of who you are. Friends, if we try it the other way around, if you and I try to clean up our act, get a little more perfect, then come to God, oh, there's no power for that kind of living. 
is only frustration, which will lead to bitterness, which will lead to deadness in relationship with God. And that is why He is pleased with your sloppy firsts. But there is a problem. When sin, weakness, guilt, sorrow, hardship strike, it is hard to go to a living God, a holy God, with sloppy firsts. That's embarrassing. And so this is humbling. Or really humiliating to go to God again and again with the same thing. Three, four, ten times a day. There are so many visible and tangible persons or things that can take away and distract our pain. So we don't have to go to God. Last Wednesday I came home a little bit early with some pain. I think it was a combination of Satan, our enemy, discouraging me as well as my own sin of just giving up on something God was telling me to do. I know he was telling me to do it and I said, that's it, I'm done today, I'm, I'm going home. What do you do? Where do you go in such moments? I went home early hoping Katie or my boys could distract my pain. But they weren't home. Now I have this on my front porch, this chair hammock, one, one birthday Katie bought me this great chair hammock for our porch and I often go out there to pray. So when I got home and saw they weren't there, that hammock just sort of stared at me. Right? No one heard the Lord. Ryan, you know what to do. <laughs> but also beckoning me were distractions to alleviate pain, to distract me from my pain. I mentioned Katie and the boys, but in this case, the television, the good book, work. There's always work I can rely on. A nap. The World Wide Web. Cookies. Ho oh, ho, cookies. Always seem so right. Even... My boy's Nintendo Wii was calling out its sweet melody. Come Ryan, forget your troubles. <laughs> oh. But ultimately, to go to God instead of these things, these things that clutter, that distract, ultimately everything comes down to, in that moment, in real life, believing that God exists. So simple, isn't it? The author of Hebrews says it best. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, he says, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe that He exists. What's well, so simple? Do you believe it? you believe He's there? And He's the one who can provide the solution that satisfies. And I want to enable you to live a life for Him. Brothers and sisters, I can't give you faith in God this morning. Only He, 
through Jesus can give you that. What I can tell you is that the object of our faith is a merciful God who doesn't ask that you clean yourself up or deal with your mess on your own so you can give Him your third or maybe, maybe fourth best, but only ask that you come to Him with your sloppy first and let Him clean up the slop. Wipe it clean. And by His grace, give you the power to give your best. William Cowper is a great writer of English hymns. Yeah, you'll have to trust me on that. <laughs> but he wrote, Oh, for a closer walk with God. And there is a fountain filled with blood. For a long time, he was a flatmate with John Newton who was a converted slave trader, the one who wrote Amazing Grace. We know that song. However, when I began to read of Cowper's life, I was a little surprised. I found that he was tormented by fears that he had committed the unpardonable sin. He suffered a nervous breakdown. He attempted suicide several times and was straitjacketed in an insane asylum for his own protection. He lived out the last quarter of his life avoiding church or anything that resembled church entirely. Now not knowing what went on in his life, not being privy to all of that, there are days when I might judge a guy like William Cowper. I look at his outward actions and I think, Hip hypocrite. He wrote and he sang of things he did not put into practice. However, Cowper has one thing we can certainly learn. He was insistent to continually take his fears, his weakness, his sin, his mental instability first to God and specifically to the cross of our Rescuer, Jesus Christ. Wherein, receiving and experiencing Christ's forgiveness and remembering that Jesus gave Him His holiness, God compelled a mentally unstable man to offer the best of who He was in composing brilliant, Christ exalting hymns like the one we're about to sing. Stand with me if you would and sing to God our Savior. Plunged beneath that flood, lose.
remembers all their guilty stains And sinners plunged beneath that flood Lose all their guilty stains The dying thief rejoiced to see That fountain in his day All my sins away And there may I though vile as he Wash all my sins away Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood Shall never lose its power Till all the ransomed church of God Be saved to sin no more Till all the ransomed church of God Be saved to sin no Till I die